Well, hello there, team. Wade Skalski here, problem solver, playwright, and founder of Clear the Field. Today's episode is this. Episode four, the restart for the Wyatt Earp effect and survivor bias. So you're like, Wade, yes, I believe you that the Wyatt Earp effect can be real. I agree with you that sometimes some people have survivor bias when they're giving me advice. I agree with you that there are Mark Jackson coaches and Polly Shore coaches. What do I do now? Well, the first thing that you do is you get out your working papers on paper on purpose. You'll hear me say that 5,000 times and you define where you are. Okay. And there are three areas that people typically are in. They're in triage, they're in waiting, and they're in creating. So let's talk about triage first. Triage is the idea that you are just basically putting a finger in the dike, right? You're like, you're like the water's coming over the dike, your whole life is getting flooded, and then you kind of patch it up, and then it happens again. So <clears throat> no, I need a cough button, man. I guess I have a mute button on this thing. Wasn't fast enough for the mute button. Too slow. The uh, So triage is the idea that, that you keep having repetitive the same problems, okay? Like this could be a medical issue. This could be financial issue. This could be a relational issue, relational, relationship issue. And so if you're in triage mode, you've got to fix, you've got to get a, a sort of a triage coach. It doesn't do you any good to have sort of a high level, ma you know, macro coach on something if you're having completely having micro problems because you're gonna, your micro problems are going to keep jamming you up and you're not going to be able to absorb what the person can be the best person in the world for business relationships or creative projects. But that person, uh, if, if one of those areas is your triage, pro isn't your triage problem, then you're never going to get there. So, and we'll talk more about this in the ABC problem, but the, which is a future podcast. But the issue with regards to triage is that you're, your ability to focus on new things and on creating new things and getting coached is completely affected by what's happening outside that area in your basic areas of life. So if you keep getting crushed by things and you keep trying to redo them and fix them and then they happen again, you got to fix a triage problem first. It's a very different type of coach. All right. So that's issue number one. You ask yourself, do I keep having repetitive problems? And if the answer to that question is yes, then you need to get a coach in that area and don't even go forward to the sort of the higher level areas of things that you're trying to accomplish. You've got to fix your foundation first. Now, waiting is an interesting is an interesting place. Some people will be in waiting, right? So people will come out of triage, they'll, they'll fix whatever it is, and then they'll just kind of wait. And they'll say like, well, I'm going to, you know, the perfect opportunity is going to come along. I'm going to react to it. And I just read a quote. I'm reading a book right now, rereading a book right now called The One Thing, which I highly recommend. It's on the reading list once I get that together. And the guy in there, he talks about something called the clarifying question, which isn't, which isn't uh, relevant in terms of uh, this conversation, but it is relevant in terms of uh, some planning that you know, you'll know you do, and I highly recommend that you look at it. But right before he talks about the clarifying question, he says, life is the question, and how you live it is the answer. And this actually had a, a really profound effect on me because I used to wait around a lot, and so what I would do is I, was, I would wait for opportunities. Opportunities would come into my life, and I would convert them, or I wouldn't, and then I would wait again. And then if I had an issue where I had a deadline on something, then I would move more into creation mode once the de the time deadline became uh, sufficient enough to move me, okay? So I would ping pong back and forth between triage, my life is on fire, I would fix it, then I would wait for opportunities. I would convert the opportunities or I wouldn't as long as they, you know, whatever, however they would come in. But then if I had a deadline on something, then that would motivate me to go into creation mode and then once I solved that deadline problem, I would go back to waiting or I would fall back into triage depending upon what was happening. So there's this ping pong situation where you're going back and forth. And so people will do it 
and maybe their life is totally together, right? Maybe your life is totally together. Maybe the bills get paid on time. You know, your wife and kids, everything's going okay with them or great. Maybe, you know, you're, you got a hobby, everything's great, but you're just kind of waiting for something to show up. And what I would suggest to you is that you get out your journal or your working papers and you think about that, that, that question I just gave you or that statement I just gave you, which is life is the question and how you live it is the answer. And if that's true, then you get to pick what you do, right? So if you have, to, you know, if you're trying to decide between two things, like let's say you're like, should we move to a different city or should we stay? Well, you know, they're both legal, moral, and ethical, so there's no issue, and you know, in terms of they're they're not one of them is not clearly bad for you, but you're not sure what to do, right? Well, sometimes the answer is there is no right answer. There's no book that you're living by in terms of that everything is spelled out for you that you're trying to match, right? Like, you know, there's no. There's no perfect Wade out there that if he, he gives handles everything perfectly that you're trying to emulate, that's actually, you know, I have agency. I get to pick what I want to do. So if I have two equal choices, or at least they're moderately equal, or even if one of them is in the short term not as good, but in the long term better, I get to pick. And so sometimes just the act of choosing is the answer to life's question. So waiting never serves you unless it's tactically done, on per, unless you're doing it for a strategy reason on purpose, you know, something's not ripe. You're waiting for something to mature, and you're like, okay, I need more time. I need to respect this sort of the gestational period of, of what's happening here. But but if you're just waiting for something to show up or somebody to show up and motivate you, uh, what if they don't ever show up? All right. If you're waiting for someone to save you, what if they never show up? And you know, most people that show up to save you, you don't want them to try to save you anyway. That's not the type of person typically that you're going to want. So so waiting is is kind of a, your whole life can pass you by while you're waiting, right? So. We don't want to ping pong back and forth in waiting. And then there's creating, right? So you're actually actively creating something. And in that space, if it's you're creating a business, you're creating a new relationship or strengthening a relationship or you're, you're doing a creative project, then that's when your sort of high-level coaching is critical because that can really compress timeframes for you. So the first thing you got to do is figure out where you are and, uh, you know, are you paying for coaching right now? you really do get what you pay for. If you pay for something, then you will be more invested in it and you will pay more attention to it and you will bring your full self to it, especially if you pay a lot for something. So this really impacted me in my business when I was trying to set my pricing for certain things. And I, and I realized that, you know, there's no competitive advantage to being the second lowest price. So if you can't be the lowest price in the market, then you got to be a higher price. And the reason is, and first of all, competing on price is silly. I, I try not to do it. And, and the, the reason for that is because, and we'll go into this in a future in a business situation, is that your clients that will let you get when you compete on price are not the most fun clients to be dealing with for your whole life. And they're not as invested in it as you are. And that's a crazy thing. Like, you've got to be an active, active participant in your own survival. And if I'm more invested in you than you're invested in you, then there's a problem. And so, and if you have like a really low price on the service, then someone can just take it for granted, especially if you do things for free. I never do things for free anymore. An older attorney told me this and he said, don't ever do anything for free for your friends and family. And he was so right because every time that I ever did anything for free, it was a total disaster. I mean, it just, it just, the universe just likes to laugh and punish you in those situations. So, you know, are you paying for coaching? Pay for coaching. I, I don't care who it is. Pay for coaching. Even if it's a little bit, find somebody and pay them. And you will be shocked about how fast you can compress timeframes and how fast you actually pay attention. The other issue is, um, you know, do you have mentors right now? Do you have someone that's mentoring you, you know, someone that has more experience than you in an industry so, or, or in some area of life that you need mentoring. And do you ha even have a mentor right now? Is that an, is that an objective of yours? 
And, you know, is your, is, is your, are you relying upon your family for coaching? Okay. So my, I'll give you an example and this is a personal example. So my parents are amazing, right? My dad didn't go to college. He built a successful construction business, outstanding businessman. Okay. Never taught me anything about business other than by example though. All right. But his example is pretty amazing. You know, my mom, she is a very smart person. She's in Mensa. You know, she's, you have to score on a genius level and an IQ test to get into Mensa. So she's really, really smart. But they, their advice to me in terms of their, their, you know, my dad never really pushed us to go in the business with him, which would have been interesting. But my mom's and dad's advice always to me is like, go be a doctor or a lawyer. Because in their generation, if you were a doctor or a lawyer, you were set, right? And so I went and I was like, I don't really like math and science right now. So I'm going to go be a lawyer and that will solve all my problems. Well, the challenge is going to be a lawyer. That advice is not great advice because it's, it's, it's something that is a result of their generation and of a time that doesn't exist anymore. And neither of them are lawyers. So my son or my daughter, if either of them wanted to go to law school, I'd be like, don't do it. Unless you have like an extreme passion for the law. Like if you read the law, there's so many other better ways to go into business for yourself or make money or do other things because, you know, or whatever. And, and, and not because I'm necessarily jaded from the legal profession. I'm not. It's an honorable pro profession. But it's not what you would not. It's not what I would send them to do in terms of if you don't know what to do and you're smart and you just want to go make money, it wouldn't be being a lawyer. Just the, the cost is too much in terms of the investment for that. So, uh, but if they love the law, then yeah, absolutely. One million percent. If they want, my daughter wants to be like an environmental lawyer or something and she decides that she wants to do that. Yeah. Amazing. Awesome. Totally support it. But you know, I, but I would do the same thing my parents would do is I would say, okay, go into AI, right? That was, well, that's what I would tell my kids is like go into AI and learn Mandarin Chinese. Okay. Well, when, while we were kids, our parents would say, go be a lawyer and learn Russian. Right. So the advice that I give my kids is going to be totally wrong. Right. Because I'm giving them generational advice of what I see 20 years into the future. And if I, if they ask me what I think they should do, and I was going to give them advice like my parents, that's what I would say. I would say, go into AI and learn Mandarin Chinese now, but that's not what I'm going to say, given what I learned. I, you know, I'm going to run them through the clear the field process. I'm like, let's discover what it is that you want to do. Well, let's discover what your sacred mission is. Let's discover what your unicorn mission is. So that, you know, that's a thing of if your family's a strong influence on you and they're giving you advice, remember there's a generational difference. They can't, it's not their fault, you know, unless they're in an industry that is still competitive and still working properly and can be leveraged and it's something that you want to do, then yeah, listen to your parents, right? Or if there's, you know, your dad's and mom's a business person and they want to give you, you know, teach you about business. Great. Awesome. But like that wasn't a situation with my parents. They just would give me a general cultural idea, like go be a doctor or a lawyer, which is very middle class, you know, which is, you know, my parents are middle class, a very middle class idea. Like that's the definition of success. And it turned out to be like really, really, really bad advice in one sense and really, really like worked out in another sense because, you know, there's no losing, only learning. So anyways, and I wouldn't be here talking to you if I was madly successful, in, you know, in terms of the legal profession, if I would have loved it, I'd be like, oh, being a lawyer is the best. So, but it's not really for, it's not really in terms of what I thought it was. And, and I had to craft something that was for me. That's, you know, my sacred mission in terms of clear the field, helping people in post-conviction and helping people that are in, um, that aren't in main, in triage as much as, as they're in maintenance. Okay. So, you know, that's the issue with regards to when you're tackling, you know, are you being coached by your parents? So that's, you may want to put that in your working papers and figure that out. So, and then the other thing is, is like, look, like I like to break, I like to give creative, creative field examples to kind of bring things home. So let's say that you want to be a writer, okay? And like, I want to be a published novelist. I want to make money as a novelist. I'm like, okay. So the other thing that you can do to get started is learn the numbers for your industry. Like, figure it out. 
Like, what does the average person make in your industry? How many people are successful? And like being a novelist, that sounds awesome. I'm a good writer. So here's the numbers that, as, as I understand them for, uh, let me pull these numbers up here. Oh, I just used the cough button. Amazing. It's actually a mute button, but I'm going to put a little sticky in here and rename it the cough button. So there were a million books published in English last year. In the English-speaking books, there's a million of them. 500 of the million books sold more than 40,000 copies. I want you to think about that for a second, okay? Uh, 500 out of a million published books sold over 40,000 copies. That means 900, I was told there was no math today on this podcast. That means 900,000, 999,500 books sold under 40,000. Not very profitable. And that's published books. What about all the books that got written but didn't get published? Maybe, what is that, 10 times as many, like 10 million books, right? So if you're going to bet your whole life on being a novelist, you better have an engine that allows you to be free with what you write. Because your dream, not enough. It's not. You've got to have every single skill to give yourself a fighting chance. And you've got to have an engine that allows you to actually work free from financial concerns. Because you will not write the next American novel if you're broke. There's a reason. Like Hemingway was part of the group of the expatriates and they moved to Paris. Do you know why they moved to Paris? The expats and that whole like so romantic thing? Because it was less expensive to live there. Ernest Hemingway, one of the most famous people in the history of time, was like, as a writer, moved to Paris, one to experience it, because it was so cheap. He was with the expats and everybody else was so cheap to live there. So that's an engine of sorts, and you've got to figure something like that out for yourself. And, and that's part of what Clear the Field does, is like, look, is, is any creative endeavor that you do, you have to have the ability to self-produce or self-fund yourself or, or at least build your life in a way that gives you the time to work on your creative projects free from monetary concerns okay so you know know the number for a restart in this know the numbers in your business right because if you know the numbers in your business then when someone starts to tell you how they did it it will immediately give you a frame that you can judge them by right because if someone says oh i just did my dream and i I wanted it more than anybody else no that's not true because there's there's a million you know there's nine hundred thousand other people that wanted it just as much as they did and, and for whatever reason it didn't work out Okay, and so you've got to you've got to know the numbers for your your business. And if it's a bit like if a creative business or if it's a regular business or even like relationships, like if you're trying to improve your marriage, like what percentage of marriages get divorced where you live? Like what percentage? You know, how long have you been married? What are what are the, some of the problems that your marriage has? And then find the appropriate coach and use the numbers that you know. So that's the restart issue. So kind of re, re uh, recap the restart is that, look, figure out where you are. Pay for coaching. And get your working papers out and run everyone through this idea of, all right, so what is, what exactly is it? Is this, is it survivor bias? Is it, if I'm getting coached by my family, is it a generational advice? It's not, that's not relevant now. Is it what I really want to do? Um, and you know, figure out where you are in terms of, are you in triage? Are you waiting around, uh, for an opportunity to come by or are you in create mode? And if you're in create mode, then, Make sure to examine the coach that you're thinking about getting. So that's the re- that's the restart section of episode four. C, wider perfect and survivor bias. And remember, there is no end if you stay in the path.